good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill Baptist Church. So glad to see all of you here this morning. If some of you are watching us online, we're glad that you're able to join us or Facebook or whatever way you're joining us this morning. It's our privilege and pleasure to have you with us. And those of you who are here, it's great to see you. And some of you may be first-time guests. My name is Phil Ortigo. I'm the senior pastor here at Scotts Hill. And it's my privilege to serve this fantastic faith family. And if you've been like me, last week was just painfully slow, wasn't it? As we've been waiting for the approach of this hurricane, Dorian, it just seemed like it just dragged on, and it felt like we were like in an emotional roller coaster, not quite knowing what was going to happen. My neighbor said our experience with Dorian was, the way she said it, I thought was really good. She said, our experience with Dorian was like being stalked by a turtle. And I thought, that is a great description of how slow-moving it was and how painfully slow it was. How many of you stayed in all day on Thursday and you watched the Weather Channel and the local channels and you're like trying to figure out what's going to happen? And man, it's, hurricanes are good for nothing except staying in, watching TV, and eating all day. I discovered that and I'm so over it. But we're so grateful that God's favor has been upon us. Amen? That he has spared us, he spared the entire eastern seaboard, and we're just thankful for that. Now, we have brothers and sisters who are living in the Bahamas who cannot say that. They've gone through difficulties. Marsh Harbor, that island's completely gone. Billions of dollars in damage, and we need to continue to pray for them. Because while we're getting over it, and we're cleaning up our yards, and we're moving on, and we're back to church, they don't have a church building today. And they're scattered everywhere, and most of them have moved off that island. So let's remember to pray for them, okay? Now, many of you, I'm going to ask you the question. Many of you don't know what today is. Now, it is Sunday. It is September the 8th. But today is a special day, and it's actually on the calendar. Does anybody know what today is? Anybody know? What, what is it? <laughs> Grandparents' Day. Grandparents' Day. A grandparent said that. That's right. And listen, I'm so excited about Grandparents' Day. I've never been able to celebrate this day before. But this year, I get to celebrate Grandparents' Day with all the other grandparents because my little grandson, Hudson Bo Baker, is about to turn one year old next week. Yeah, he looks like me. Yeah. But, uh, but he is so precious. And so we get to celebrate this. And I'm Pops. My wife, Chris, is Nana. And Leslie and Hudson are coming in tonight, flying in at about 8 o'clock. And so she's going to be here for Grandparents' Day. She had no idea it was Grandparents' Day. But she's going to be here for that. And we are so happy. But we're not only happy to see them, but she has informed us that there is a new addition coming. We have a little girl, a grandbaby. Don't know her name yet. A granddaughter that's going to be coming. And but unfortunately for them, Leslie is due in f at the end of February. And Hudson will be 16 months old. And she's going to have one 16 months and a brand new one. She was distraught over that. But Pops and Nana, we were overjoyed <laughs> by it. Because we don't have to keep them. We can send them home. And that's a great thing about being a grandparent. I want to do something. That I've never done this before, and, it, and it's a shame that I had to wait to get to this stage to do this. I want all grandparents to stand with me. All grandparents. If you're in here in this room and you're a grandparent, would you stand? Yeah. 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 Some of you don't even look like grandparents. You do not. Some of you look like Methuselah was your grand. No, just kidding. Just, just, no, no, just kidding. I won't point that out. 
But we're glad that you're here this morning as we celebrate together. We're starting a brand new series today that we're calling Everything. Now, at the, at the title of that, you might think, well, that's a pretty encompassing title, isn't it? It could be about everything. But what we're going to be looking at in this series is everything that we have for life and for godliness. And why are we looking at that? Because we are always so tempted as humanity to always look for that one thing that will bring us everything. Isn't that true? That seems to be the heartbeat of humanity. There's a void within us apart from a relationship with Christ where we're always looking for the next one thing. In fact, this is how I'm saying it. We're all in search for the one thing that will bring us everything we need. We're always about that. And let me tell you, this is nothing new. It was in the Garden of Eden. It was there with Adam and Eve when they were perfect. Because even though they were living in a paradise where they had everything they needed, there was the temptation for them to go after that one thing they didn't have. And when God created Adam and Eve, it was a perfect couple in a perfect relationship with a perfect God in a perfect paradise with perfect food and a perfect supply. Everything was perfect. They had everything they need. There's only one thing they could not have. And God said, you cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day that you eat of it, you will surely what? You'll surely die. And yet Satan comes along. He causes them to question the goodness and the wisdom of God by telling them, oh, no, no, God's keeping something from you. That one thing, that, that fruit on that tree, that one thing will make you like God, knowing good and evil. And what did they do? They bought into his lie. And Eve went and she grabbed that one thing. And she took a bite of that one thing. And she gave it to her husband with, with, with her. And he took a bite. And their eyes were open. And the pursuit of that one thing caused them to be less like God than they had ever been. Because they sinned. And God drove them out of the garden. And the rest of their lives was spent by looking for the one thing that will give them everything they need. And they went through this pursuit. And there's no difference today than in that day. The one things may be different, but the pursuit hasn't changed. And we live in a world where humanity is constantly looking for the next one thing. Now, here's the problem with the one thing. When you find the one thing, another one thing comes along that was better than that one thing. And you're happy until you're... Next one thing comes along, and you're disappointed constantly. What are some of the one things that we run after? That one relationship. Man, if I could get that one relationship, he will make me happy, and life will be good. And you get in that relationship, and you realize there's conflict and sorrow. Or how about that one job? If I could get that one job, I will be secure. My career will be perfect, and I will have everything I need and then the pink slip comes. Or how about the one possession? If I can get that one car, that one boat, that one house, I will be happy. And then they break down. And they rust. And they fall apart. And they do not satisfy. How about that one break? I can get that one break. If I get that one break, man, I will be set for life. My portfolio will be secure. And then the market crashes. Or how about that one achievement? Man, I can get that one achievement. If I can accomplish that one thing, life will be happy. 
And it never is. And we keep going after the next one thing and the next one thing. You know what's amazing? We live in a culture where we have more millionaires and billionaires than ever before. We have more successful people than we've ever seen in our country than ever before. And yet we look at these celebrities, we look at these famous people, we look at these rich peoples, and you and I would say, wow, they've got everything they can ever need. And then you hear them talk, and they're empty, and they're constantly searching for the next one thing. In 2005, 60 Minutes did a 90-minute interview with probably, arguably, one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history. And that is with Tom Brady. Now, I don't think he is. I think Drew Brees is for the Saints. <laughs> Amen? How can Christians not pull for Saints? You can pull for the Patriots all you want. I don't see anything in Scripture about Patriots in heaven. So, I... <laughs> But they did an interview with Tom Brady. And in that interview, is so revealing. It was 2005, but his heart hasn't changed since then as far as we know. Listen to what he says of the emptiness. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I mean, it's, I think that's part of me trying to go out and experience other things. But there's a, I know, I love playing football and I love being the quarterback for this team. And, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find and different ways of expression, being around. I know what ultimately makes me happy are family and friends and positive relationships with, with great people. And I think I get more out of that than anything. Family dies. Family moves on. Relationships can become negative and sour. The next one thing is always a disappointment. And yet, this series is about looking at everything that we have. And rather than running after the next one thing that the culture has to ha show us, we want to look at what God's Word has to say, what will give us everything that we need for life and for godliness. So this morning, I'm speaking to two groups of people this morning. I'm speaking, first of all, those who are believers and who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And secondly, I'm speaking to those who are not yet followers of Christ. And I want you to see what God has for us together. We're going to be studying 2 Peter. And we're only going to be looking at chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. So if you have your Bibles, your devices, I want to encourage you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. It's towards the back end of the New Testament. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. We're only going to unpack verses 1 through 4 this morning, but I want you to see the big picture of what Peter is laying out before us. As you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of background. Peter is the preeminent disciple. 
He's the one that appears at the first of every list of disciples in the Gospels. He was the most bold. He was the most outspoken. He was the most impetuous. He was the one that put his foot in his mouth more than any other disciple. He was praised by Jesus more than any disciple. And he was rebuked by Jesus more than any disciple. He was the preeminent leader of the church. After Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose from the dead, his life was changed. Peter's life was changed. He became one of the key leaders of the Christian movement that you and I experience even to this day. And God used him and a handful of men to turn the world upside down with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter's writing these words to a group of believers And the reason he's writing is he's about to die. In verse 15 of chapter 1, you will see that he says, I am not going to be in this body much longer. I'm going to die. I'm going to be executed. He knew that. Tradition tells us he was crucified on a cross upside down by the Roman emperor Nero. And he knew his days were numbered. But before he died, he reminds them of what they have in their relationship with God. And that they have everything they need for life and godliness. And he also warns them of false teachers in the life of the church. So he's about to share with them not only the essentials for enjoying everything, but how you and I can live a godly life as we mimic the character of God here. So here's how he begins. Simeon Peter, if you have the ESV, it begins with Simeon. Other translations say Simon. They're the same. Simeon is just simply the Greek version of the Hebrew version, Simon. So we're talking about the same person. Simeon or Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Join me as we pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts today as believers, that we see that we have all we need for life and godliness. And, Father, that you would speak to non-believers today to see from your word what they need for life and godliness. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Peter begins the first four verses by giving to you and me the essentials for enjoying everything that God has given us. And he gives three specific essentials. 
And what I want us to do is unpack the first four verses and look at the essentials that we have. And these are key. If you and I are going to understand anything about being satisfied in this life as a believer, we need to hold to these three truths. And these need to be the next things or the things that we pursue and not the one things of the world. Where does he begin? He begins with the first essential. Everything we need is found in one person. Everything we need is found in Jesus Christ. Now, Peter begins right away unashamedly saying that our joy and satisfaction in this life is only going to come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's unapologetic about that. In fact, he mentions Jesus three times in this passage. Now, most of the time when you and I read letters of the New Testament, we get to what's called the greeting or the salutation, and we just skim right over it. And for us, it doesn't mean a whole lot. But for the early church, it meant everything. What, G what Peter writes here is radical to the believers in that day because he describes Jesus Christ as our greatest need in three different ways, in multiple different ways. Three times he mentions Jesus. The first time he mentions him is just simply by his name. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. He just simply mentions Jesus Christ. Now, that's the most common use of the name Jesus Christ in our culture. In fact, a lot of people use it as a curse word today, don't they? But, but Peter tells us two important things when he says Jesus Christ. First of all, his name Jesus is a human name. The word in the Hebrew is Yeshua. It was a very common name, Joshua. And Jesus had a very common name. Now, here's what's interesting. His parents didn't come up with that name. God came up with that name. God told the angel Gabriel to tell Mary and Joseph to name him Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus. So why did he call him that? Because his name means God saves. In his humanity, Jesus was born for the purpose of saving humanity. He came to earth with human flesh and blood so that he can be a part of God's plan of redemption. He was born to save humanity. Now, his second part of his name, Christ, many people think that's his last name. Like my last name is Ortigo or Ortego or Ortega or Taco, as many of you may call me. Jesus Christ is not his last name. Christ is a title, which means the anointed one or the promised one. Not only does he come in flesh and blood, and he came to redeem mankind, he is the fulfillment of God's promises in the Old Testament. In Jesus, every single promise will be fulfilled in him. So we find Jesus, he's the human we find Christ, he's the promised Messiah who will fulfill all of God's covenants. Then he moves over here, he calls him God. God. Jesus is not only a man, he's not only one that has been promised by God to come to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies, but he is God himself. He is of the very essence and the nature God he is co-eternal with the Father. He's co-eternal with the Holy Spirit. There's never been a time he has not existed from eternity past. Jesus was with the Father and the Son. He is 100% God. He's a man. He is the promised one. He is 
God himself, but then fourthly, he is Savior. He's the only one who is qualified to die for humanity. He's the only one who is qualified to satisfy the wrath of a holy God so you and I can have the grace of a gracious God. He's the only one who can forgive you of your sins and forgive any human of their sins. He's the only one that can satisfy the penalty for sin. He is Savior. So he is flesh, 100% man. He is 100% God. He has fulfilled all the promises of the Old Testament. He's the only one who can satisfy God's wrath and forgive you. But if that's not enough, he is Lord. What does it mean he's Lord? All through the New Testament, the most common phrase that we find of Jesus is Jesus the Lord or the Lord Jesus. Lord means sovereign. Lord means authority. Lord means in absolute control. He is the sovereign, omnipotent God. As God, he can fulfill every one of his promises. As human, he can die on the cross for you and me. As Savior, he can forgive us of every single sin in our life. And as Lord, he has the authority over the grave. He has authority over death. And he has the authority to bring us life. That's who he is. He's our greatest need. He's the greatest need of every single human on this planet. He's the only one that can satisfy the longings and the desires of your heart. There is no one else who died for you. There's no one else who was born for you. There's no one else who went to the cross for you. There's no one else who can forgive you. There's no one else who has taken your sin so that you can enjoy a righteous Exciting life in God. He is your greatest need. And your everything is found in him. Jesus himself even says it. He says the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. When Satan came into the garden, he came to steal, kill, and destroy everything that God had given to Adam and Eve. Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus reverses the curse. He comes that you and I can live an abundant life. What is an abundant life? Very quickly, two things. An abundant life, first of all, is a quality of life. It is a quality of life that you've never known to be able to live in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. You and I can live a quality life only in Jesus. But it's not only a quality life, it's a quantity of life. It is a quantity of life. It is forever a life in him. Jesus is the only one who is qualified for all of humanity. Jesus is the answer for the Middle East. Jesus is the answer for China. Jesus is the answer for South America. Jesus is the answer for the United States. Jesus is the answer for Australia. Jesus is the only one who can settle the human heart. And if you know that you're in a relationship with Christ, you know that when you have found him, your search has ended, hasn't it? It's over. I remember when I was growing up, I was constantly looking for the next one thing. So I got involved in alcohol and I abused alcohol for years. But you know, that one thing never satisfied. It led me down a dark road. 
Then I got involved in drugs, and I started taking drugs. And you know what? That one thing never satisfied. I began selling drugs, thinking, okay, I'll make some money off of this habit that I have. But you know what? That never led me to satisfaction. I began jumping in one relationship after another relationship. And you know what? None of that satisfied. I tried to please people with my life, and none of that satisfied. But on a Thursday evening in March, I met Jesus. And when I met him, and he became the Lord of my life, he became the satisfaction for everything that I ever needed. If you're a believer here today, you know that is true of you. If you're not here, I mean, if you're here today and you're not a believer, listen carefully, listen. Your greatest need is Jesus. Not the next one thing. It is in him. Your everything is found in a person. Now that's enough. We could stop right there. And you're probably thinking, yes, please do. But Peter moves on. Notice the next essential. Everything we need is not only found in a person, but everything we need is fashioned by God's power. It is by his power. Everything you and I need for life and godliness is found in the power of God. God's power is absolutely adequate for everything I need in my life. How does Peter put it? Notice how he says it. In verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. In this passage, Peter lays out the things from life to godliness and all the things that are in between. And it's only through the power of God that you and I can be satisfied with everything God gives us. What are those five things? Let me give them to you real quickly. Number one, obviously, he has given us life. The very life that you have has come from God himself. He is the creator. He is the one that created you. There's never been a time he has not known you. From eternity past, he has known you. Psalm 139 says he knows all your days before you're one day old. There's never a time where the Father has not known you. And there will never be a time when he does not know your heart. He has created you. It's by his power. But not only has he given you physical life, he is the one that gives you spiritual life. He's the one that puts you on a spiritual journey. He's the one that draws you to himself. He's the one that introduces us to Christ. He is the one who's the author of my spiritual life as well. He gives us life. It's by his power. Secondly, he gives us knowledge. Peter loves the word knowledge. He uses it 13 times in this passage or in this, this letter. And the word knowledge can mean two things. Number one, it can mean an intellectual knowledge or it can mean an experiential knowledge. Peter does not use it as an intellectual knowledge, although intellect is very important. He uses it as an experiential knowledge, which means this. It is a knowledge that changes your life. In other words, this. It's not enough to know about Jesus. You have to know him personally. And not only is he working in our life, but he is the one that gives us the knowledge to understand the revelation of not only who he is, but to know how to have a relationship with him, and that is by his divine power. Thirdly, he gives us faith. He gives us faith. He says the faith in which you have obtained, which is the same kind of faith as ours. We know in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. And so faith is very important. But here's the thing. It is a faith that we have obtained. 
It's not an objective faith, which is a set of doctrine. It's a subjective faith of where I believe in Jesus personally. But even that belief is a gift from God. God not only gives us the gift of his son, Jesus, God gives us the gift of faith. And why does he do that? Because you and I are born spiritually dead. And when we're born spiritually dead, we cannot respond to spiritual stimuli. Just as a corpse cannot respond to external stimuli, so we spiritually are dead. God has to regenerate us. And while he uses the free agency of man and his sovereignty, and the free agency of man, we would not in and of ourselves choose Christ because we're dead. But the Holy Spirit comes along. He makes us alive, and God even gives to us the faith that we need to respond to Christ. Your faith in Christ is a gift from the Father. And it's through that faith that you and I respond to the grace of God in our lives. Thirdly, he gives us salvation, that we are called into this relationship. He gives us salvation. That is by his power. It's not simply by our doing. And God saves us. And here's the wonderful thing. In Christ, we have been saved. We are saved. And we are being saved. There's never a time when we're not saved. So there is security in this relationship with Christ. Some people say, oh, you know what? You can lose your salvation. Really? God is the beginning of salvation. God's the end of salvation. Salvation isn't Jesus saving you and you trying to hold on to him to the end. Salvation is Jesus saving you and God holding on to you to the end. And you can never jump out of his hands. Jesus says in John 10, 10, that my father is greater at all. He has them in the palm of his hands and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. In salvation, you're secure. And lastly, he gives us godliness. You know what godliness is? Godliness is just simply speaking about godly living. Because of his power, listen, we have the ability to live a godly life. I have people say sometimes, I wish God would make me more godly. I wish God would show me more his will that I can understand it. Let me tell you something. Every child of God has the power to walk in godliness. When people say, I'm not godly enough, I will tell you this. Every Christian is as godly as he or she wants to be. You hear that? Every Christian is as godly as he or she wants to be. Godliness doesn't come just to the spiritual elite. Godliness doesn't come from a conference. Godliness doesn't come from a book. Godliness doesn't come from some secret formula. Godliness comes from the hard submission in obedience to God's word. And that is difficult. For the next several weeks, we're going to look at how to live that godly life as we walk in obedience, but God gives you even the power to walk in godliness. Why is this important? Let me tell you why, very quickly. This is so important because there are times when you and I need to not only rest that our satisfaction is in a person, but our satisfaction is in God's power because there are times when you don't feel holy. There are times when you give into temptation. There are times when you doubt your security. There are times when you wonder what this whole thing is all about. There are times when you get weary and you get tired. There are times where you just wish Jesus would come back today. Anybody ever been there? 
but the security that we have, that we have everything we need in his power is in the midst of those times. We have everything we need to live godly lives. So here's the thing. Number one, we have this essential is found in a person. Secondly, this essential is formed by the power of God in the believer. But thirdly, everything we need is secured in God's promises. It's all secured in the promises of God. Notice how Peter puts it in verse 4. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them, through what? The promises. Through the promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Peter is saying this. He's saying, listen, you have everything you need, not only through the person of Jesus, you have everything you need, not only through the power of God, but you have everything you need through the promises of God's word. Do you know there are over 1,500 promises in the Bible? And we're not going to look at every one of them one by one today, okay? There are 1,500 promises. You know what the promises are given for? The promises are not just for your health and your wealth. The promises are not for your convenience and your comfort. The promises of God are given to you and me for his glory and for his excellence. And when you and I walk in the promises of God, Peter says there are two reasons God gives us promises. Number one, to participate in the divine nature. Now, very quickly, Peter is not saying something weird here. He's not saying that you and I become God. He's not saying we're to be like the Mormons. The Mormons have a philosophy. They have a motto. As man is, God was. As God is, man shall become. That's not true. We do not become gods. We do not become little gods. What is Peter saying? The promises of God have been given to you and me so that we can participate in his nature, in his character, to partner with him in this world. And his promises are those that help us to live according to the nature of God himself. I can be holy because he is holy. I can be righteous because he is righteous. I can be just because he is just. I can be loving because he is loving. His promises are given so you and I can mimic the very heart of the Father. But here's the second reason, to escape the corruption that is in the world. His promises help us to live a life of victory. Now, he's not saying that you and I will become to a place where we are sinless, but he is saying that we can come to a place where we sin less. And we should as we grow in our relationship with Christ because we have power over sin. We have power over the brokenness. Now, you and I will never be able to get to a place where we have sinless perfection. We have a sinful nature. We're always going to be in the presence of sin. But we do have the power to have victory over sin. You have everything you need. Listen, believers, let me talk to you for a moment. It's hot in here. Believers, in Jesus, you have satisfaction. In Jesus, you have power to live a godly life. In Jesus, you have all of the promises of God working for you. 
you have everything you need. Believer, why do you run after the next one thing? Why are you still pursuing the one things of this world? You're going after this one thing and this one thing and this one thing. And Jesus is the only thing that you need. And yet we've forgotten it. We're like what Peter said. We have forgotten our cleansing from our former sins. And so Jesus died to set us free from these one things. And yet we're pursuing the very things he died to set us free from. And it grieves his heart. Some of you are looking for the next one thing in your spouse. Oh, I hope she or I hope he will bring me joy. And there's no joy in that relationship. Well, you know why? Your joy was never meant to be derived from a relationship with a man or a woman. Your joy was meant to be derived from a relationship with the Son of God. And when your joy is in Jesus, then your marriage experiences that joy. Some of you, your joy has been found in your children. And your children have let you down and they're not measured up. And you're running after your children. You're trying to prop them up so that they can be successful. They are the source of your joy. And Jesus is saying, no, no, I am. You place your joy in me. You trust me for everything. You let me be the everything of your life. And no matter what your children do, you will be joyful. Some of you are looking for the next one thing in your job thinking that this is going to secure my family. And Jesus is saying to you, I'm the Lord of all. I have authority over all things. I'm the only one who can secure your family. Why are you going after the things of the world? And every one of us, I believe, is guilty of this because within our heart, there is always the longing for the next one thing. And we already have the only thing. So the call to you today is don't forget what he saved you from and move towards the things that he saved you for, his glory and his excellence. It's only in him, it's only as we as believers realize this, that we are satisfied. unbelievers. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, let me just say to you, you'll be like everyone else who has ever been in that position. You're looking for the one thing. It is elusive and it does not exist outside of Jesus. He's your only hope. And this morning I would plead with you that you would surrender your life to Jesus today. Today. Because he's the only one that will bring you satisfaction. He's the only one that will bring you power. He's the only one that will bring you purpose. He's the only one that will fulfill his promises in you. No one else will. He alone. And God is speaking to you today to find your fulfillment in him. Not the world. And when we do, we recognize all that we really have in Jesus. Dr. Lockridge, who was an African-American pastor in Dallas, Texas, was at a conference, and he spoke extemporaneously, and they recorded it. And as he spoke, the words he said were incredible. 
I want to read those words to you that he spoke at this conference because he captures in these statements more beautifully than anything I can ever say about everything in Christ. Now, I can't say it the way that he would preach to his congregation. I'm not African-American. And if I tried it, you would know I'm trying it, and you would laugh. So I'm going to read it. And as I read it, listen to what he says of the satisfaction of those whose everything is in Jesus. I'm not reading the whole thing. I'm reading some of it. He says, well, my king is the king of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislatures. He is the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. That's my king. Yeah, that's my king. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yes, he's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you the heavens cannot contain him, let alone a man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they tried. They found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah, that's my king. He always has been and always will be. I'm talking about he who had no predecessor and he who has no successor. There was nobody before him and there will be nobody after him. You can't impeach him and he's not going to resign. Praise the Lord, that's my king. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. And how long is that? And ever and ever and ever and ever. And when you get through all with the forevers, then amen. That's my king. Believer, that's your king. That's your deliverer. That's your savior. He's the only one, the only one that can satisfy the cries 